You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 275th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 897th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of December 22nd, 2022. Uh, I'm your host, the coach, Brian Tonsoni. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. Oh, oh, Hoosiers have won the national championship. This week's Banner Moment happened on Tuesday in the first half when non-rotation players Logan Duncan and C.J. Gunn checked into the game in meaningful moments. Uh, Logan proceeds to have a quick impact on the game with an offensive rebound basket, a hustle block on the defensive end, and then another solid play back on the offensive end, back to back to back. Then C.J. Gunn checks in, and the first thing I see is extreme ball pressure on defense and great hand attacks while not getting beat off the dribble. Later in the closing moments of the first half, Gunn slams home an offensive rebound by crashing the glass from beyond the three-point line. Now, as the game progressed, both of these men made some mistakes, but both were ready to play when the opportunity arose. Solid performances overall by Duncan and Gunn are great to see. As seasons progress, programs often need their bench players due to injury, foul trouble, or maybe just a jolt of energy. Well, Logan and CJ had their opportunity and, and made the most of it and are pushing for more run on the court. Can they do this in Big Ten play? We'll have to see. But they did not waste their opportunity, and that is what Indiana basketball is all about. Okay, now let me introduce my co-host this week. Ryan is off this week. He's eating delicious uh, tiramisu and uh, prepared by the ever-wonderful Diane Phillips. Uh, Meanwhile, Jared is somewhere trying to get his children into bed. Uh, Good luck to both of you. Uh, but here with me, fresh off a trip to Assembly Hall to watch Indiana defeat Elon, it's the Fran McCaffrey of Girls Youth Sports Coaching in Cincinnati, the President Emeritus of the Robin, Robert Johnson Fan Club, and a bracketologist who continues to set the standards that others strive for. It's Andy Bottoms. The best of you sports coaching, you know that we got them. When it comes to analytic trends, you know he can spot them. First-class bracketology. If you want the top, you gotta go bottoms. If you want the top, you gotta go bottoms. If you want the top, you gotta go bottoms. If you want the top, you gotta go bottoms. Andy, good to have you on the show tonight. Uh, as the winter weather hits uh, central uh, central Indiana and Ohio uh, soon, what's your uh, bottoms line on the last week in Indiana basketball? Uh, yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for me was uh, fun this week. I take my mom to the game on Tuesday. Was I think she said the first time she'd probably been there uh, since not long after her and my my dad either start, first started dating or first got married. So back into the seventies. So uh, it was awesome to get to take her and uh, uh, and do that. So we had a nice day walking around campus a little bit. Stopped at Nick's. Um, met a couple of listeners, Drew and uh, I think Aaron was the other one. 
maybe Eric, I'm getting, getting it confused in my head, but anyway, so appreciated, uh, them stopping over, uh, made my mom think I was probably a lot more important than I really was. So, uh, I guess that helped too, but, uh, but no, we had a great time. Uh, good game. Obviously got to see some of the young guys play, as you mentioned in the intro, which, uh, will be really important for this team as the, as the season goes on. And I thought some guys really showed up, played hard. CJ Gunn was, uh, among those really pressured the ball well and, uh, and thought he, he really played like a guy and Duncan to, uh, to a similar degree, a guy who saw an opportunity and was going to do his best to make the most of it, whether that meant extra minutes or just success in that game. And, and I think that's what you want to see. And for Gunn, you know, as we, we think about, you know, one of the topics we're going to talk about later tonight without Xavier Johnson, uh, there are backcourt minutes to be had. So can he stake his claim to some of those and, and really make an argument that, that he needs some more playing time? So uh, was really excited to be there, be back in Assembly Hall, uh, made for kind of a long drive home that night after the game, but uh, but well worth it to uh, to go with my mom and uh, and see when. So uh, and certainly given the weather, uh, made the right choice in doing that and not the Kansas State game, it seems like. So uh, in retrospect, that sounds like a really that feels like a really good decision, too. And also joining us this week, uh, our special guest runs one of the most entertaining and notorious IU Twitter accounts out there. He's a frequent contributor to the Mind Your Banners podcast. He's a treasure trove of insight and information about our beloved Bloomington. And he's a dude who helps you get out of a ditch. Like on his way home today, was pushing people out of a ditch. He does everything. He's the one and only. It's Chronic Hoosier. Uh, Chronic, you made the trip to Lawrence last week, so I'm guessing maybe a little salty uh, about that performance. But what are your overall thoughts right now? about Indiana basketball? You know, uh, it, it was one of those trips that leaves you with a, uh, a less than ideal taste in your mouth. Um, you know, I, I think I was looking when we headed out there for a, a little bit of a cleansing uh, after the, the the performance in Las Vegas against Arizona. And rather, uh, it, it, it seemed like basically a repeat uh, with perhaps less fight displayed. Uh, and I think that's the thing right now that uh, – that I'm probably wondering the most, you know, was, uh, was Geo Baker, right. Are these Hoosiers just soft as butter? Um, because you know, for what we've seen at Xavier, for what we saw, um, against UNC, um, we kind of took a couple of steps backwards over the last couple of weeks. And I think right now, uh, I'm looking, I'm looking for the soul of this team. I want to see what their, what their true identity is, what they're, what they're made of. Um, because for a team that started off with such high expectations, both internally and externally, um, I would imagine the locker room is probably somewhat tracking what you see in the national debate right now about Indiana and perhaps some questions about what, who they are and what they're capable of and what their potential is. And, uh, I don't know that we're going to learn a whole, whole lot, uh, of answers tomorrow against Kennesaw state, but you know, they're going to get a chance to heal up, rest up, enjoy some, uh, some holiday time with their families. And then, uh, we begin the slog that is the big 10 and, uh, what better way to start off with a, a road trip to, uh, Iowa city against the Hawkeyes here on the fifth. So, uh, I, hopefully they, they figure some things out by the time we get there. Uh, especially when it comes to the defensive end. Okay, so here's what we have in store for us this week. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about Kansas and Elon uh, here in segment one. Uh, then we're going to transition to uh, Xavier Johnson injury uh, and how's that going to impact Indiana moving forward. How do we think they're going to adjust uh, with X being out? Uh, and then segment three, we answer your questions uh, in, in the mailbag. All of that is coming up this week on Assembly Call Radio. But now let's talk about our presenting sponsor. 
This edition of Assembly Call Radio, just like all shows on the Back Home Network, is presented by our friends at Home Field Apparel, where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel that you'll find anywhere, with beloved logos like the two different versions of the Bison and so many more. The bottom line is that Home Field has something for fans and greds of pretty much every school with unique vintage logos for all of them. And no matter what you buy, you know it'll be comfortable and the colors will last through many washings. Plus, you're supporting an Indiana-based company that came up with Kelly through Kelly Business School. What could be better than that? And if you're like me, you just love getting Home Field. I bought my own Christmas gift from, from my mom to me. And little did I know that Amy put it under the Christmas tree in a Home Field bag. I thought she bought me another one, so I was like a kid in a candy store uh, getting uh, Home Field apparel. So go to homefieldapparel.com and use our promo code HOME for 15% off your entire first order. That's promo code HOME for 15% off. Once again, the website is homefieldapparel.com. Wear one for the team. You know, to, to tag on to the home field, I got a, uh, I bought myself some things before Christmas as well. So the other day I'm on a work call, I've got a North Dakota state sweatshirt on and somebody goes, there's a guy that on my team who's from Minnesota and he's like, is that a North Dakota state sweatshirt? And he goes, why do you have that? I go, why wouldn't I have that? So, exactly. Uh, so I'm right there with you. I'm uh, pretty proud of myself. I just got uh, a new bison hoodie. Um, my, I've been told by my wife and kids that the old one was was maybe not fit for public. So now uh, I have a fancy bison hoodie, which I'm currently wearing right now because that's the esteem I hold you gentlemen in. And then I have one for uh, one for when we stay in, which is honestly how that one got in that condition. Because after the pandemic, uh, I probably wore it nine out of ten days. Uh, even during the summer, we keep the house unbelievably cold, uh, mainly just so that I can wear my home field. But today was the first time uh, I got to wrap up a home field gift that wasn't apparel um i know he's not listening uh my son i purchased him the uh, the bison print uh we're going to put it on his wall in his bedroom next to the watch shot uh but that just got back from the framer right under the wire today so i'm pretty stoked about that uh even more ways to give the gift of home field to those you love that aren't always close it's it's amazing um you know the the questions you have to answer by wearing the variety of shirts uh, and as a collector of college gear, uh, short of drinking out of an Iowa cup on the postgame show the other night and getting roasted on Twitter, which was fantastic use of Twitter, uh, by the way. So I'm just going straight water tonight with, with, with no teams. But home field, uh, buy, buy some. It's comfortable. It, it's, it's great. Uh, um, and, and they're our sponsor. So, um, okay, um, Gentlemen, just going back to the state of Indiana basketball, before the season started, if you would have told me they were 2-2 two and two in these non-conference games, I would have been happy. And so I am, to some extent, as a bracketologist, Andy and I, we see the benefit where Indiana is in the net with those. But the quality of play was bad against Arizona, and you had good segments of fighting back. And then it just seemed like Indiana took a punch at Kansas uh, chronic and, and and didn't respond, and that goes to the coaching staff too. It just looked like everyone played out. Once X went down, it just was like uh, panic city, uh, and, and that's raised a lot of concerns uh, with the fans of Indiana basketball. You know, the thing for me, um, because we saw them getting a really really deep hole against Arizona, but they were able to punch their way out of it, uh, got it respectable, and then eventually just didn't have the uh, the horses to get over the line. Um, Kansas. You know, if memory serves, there was basically one spurt to start the second half where I think uh, Indiana got the deficit to to 10 
and it was really the first time all game you heard the uh, the honestly the amazing number of Indiana fans in that gym, which I can't tell you how many Kansas fans told me all dang day. Uh, it started at breakfast because we got in at like eleven thirty. Uh, the night prior, we came in real late, go to breakfast the next morning and the waitress can't stop talking about, she's seen all these Hoosiers everywhere. And then for the rest of the trip, all you heard about, this is most fans they've ever seen visiting uh, by a country mile, uh, not Iowa State, not Texas, nobody out there has ever come close, according to the locals. And uh, you never would have known it, but for that little glimmer uh, to start the second half where they, they were able to put together a run, cut the deficit down, and then no differently than than. The Hoosier fans found their voice. Kansas just put their foot right on our throats again. And and before you knew it, you know, the lead was basically 20 points, I think 18 points again uh, within the next five, uh, five minute segment. So it disappointing to see them struggle so long. I, it's, I think it's understandable when your starting point guard goes down that things get a little bit wonky. Um, what was difficult to accept was just how easily uh, I don't want to say they gave up. I don't want to say they gave in but how they just basically let Kansas control every facet of the game um, without a whole lot of resistance. And I think that was something that I was was really expecting to be markedly better considering what had happened out in Las Vegas, um, considering that I thought this was a much, much better matchup uh, for the Hoosiers than what they faced against Arizona. And uh, you never would have known it by the way they played. Um, and it was something that, you know, uh, I would like to believe everything's correctable, um, but the lingering doubt with this team is just what is their fortitude, who is their leader, who is going to be the guy or the guys that when they find themselves in that situation help pull the rest of the guys up. And uh, I'm still looking for that person right now because we haven't seen it at least away from Assembly Hall. And uh, if these if these guys really want to have a chance to contend for the Big Ten tournament, you're going to have to find a way to go win some road games. Uh, on top of protecting home court. And what we've seen from Indiana, with the exception of Xavier, is they've been a little bit shaky uh, on the road. So that's going to be something they need to uh, they need to figure out and figure out fast here as we roll into the new year. So, Andy, then after that performance, they come back and, and play um, some cupcake games, which all programs do and Indiana needs to do. And maybe it was right, the timing, to, to get right again. But you're without your starting point guard, and then uh, Trace Jackson Davis uh, is out for precautionary reasons because of his lower back issue. What did you see uh, in the in Assembly Hall uh, from this Indiana team? Did you see anything that, uh, uh, or can you see anything against a team like Elon uh, that that will show where Indiana is uh, after the the Kansas debacle? Yeah, I think as I look back at the the Kansas game first, you know, the similarities to me between that and the Arizona game were one, the slow start two, a real, uh, the, the struggles defensively really from almost from start to finish and being able to take away what the other team wanted to do. And then the third thing chronic alluded to it as well. It, it felt like in both those games, IU was just fighting their tail off to get a little bit of a grip on the game and fight back a little bit. And then within a minute of getting to, you know, 10 points in the, in the Kansas game, it got lower than that in the Arizona game, the ease with which the opponent reeled off six, eight points to really keep you at arm's length. And I don't know if that's how you relaxing once they get back and kind of get to that point in the game and kind of reverting back to how they played at the beginning. But I think that those are the big takeaways for me in those games. And really failed to assert their will defensively 
Um, and they did that against North Carolina, but I'm not so sure that's just because North Carolina wasn't really running anything. Um, and, and they seem to be getting things together now, which is good for IU. But, but in, to, to get to the heart of your question about what they showed at Elon or against Elon, um, you know, a little bit hard to, to gauge. I thought it was a, a little sloppy at first, some kind of casual passes that got, um, you know, they got taken, turned in some points. Elon hit some tough shots and, and you kind of felt like IU was going to get into a groove. I think the positive from that game is you did get a lot of guys playing time. You did get some experience for people who are going to need to step up. We talked about that last year where even in some of the cupcake games, the starters were having to play so many minutes um, that it really wasn't a great recipe for long-term success. And the only guy who played a lot of minutes on Tuesday was Huchifino. And I think that makes sense because he's coming back off the injury. You're trying to get him back into shape. You're also having to get him probably used to playing more minutes than he was earlier in the season and probably more than you anticipated him having to play uh, in that regard. So I thought, the, you know, give him a chance to, to dole out the minutes a little bit, uh, a little bit differently. And um, I think the you know, one of the bigger things I noticed you guys talked about on the post-game show was you know, some of the ball screen defense. The coaches were really vocal on the bench. Um, we were sitting kind of across the bench. Brian Walsh and, and Coach Yai in particular – uh, we're really, really yelling to them about how they're playing the ball screens and just communicating on screens as much as anything else, which, you know, for a team that's supposed to hang a tight on defense, I mean, that's the stuff that I'm yelling at my sixth graders about communicating <laughs> on screens and stuff like that. Um, we do an equally poor job of it as what I've done at times, but, um, but that's, it, you, you kind of get the sense that the coaching staff is really honing in on the defensive stuff. Um, they're really vocal about that. Um, I think the offense in a game like that, you're going to find ways to score. Uh, the size advantage was so big that that was inevitable. Um, but I think that speaks to where this team has the most room for improvement. It needs to improve the most is defensively uh, at this point and get back to a little bit of what they were doing so well last year when everybody was, this is what they're hanging their hat on. Everybody's loving that kind of defense. And um, we just haven't seen that enough uh, this year, particularly in the games against quality opponents. Yeah, so to to me, guys, there's three. There's just well, three areas, Mister Obvious, uh, uh, a concern: offense, defense, but the the leadership that Chronic talked about, and, and is Geo Baker correct? Uh, soft, uh, and, and there's a difference between you know playing hard and yet competing hard to a point and not accepting certain levels of play. And 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 the question is is who is your your leader? I I have been. Uh, a little less uh, bothered by uh, Trace Jackson Davis than than some of the people uh, that that I've read and heard uh, want want him to to step up a little bit and and he probably can he he's the he's the player uh, you would like to see someone you know uh, huddle up and 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 use some uh, intensity to to get Indiana to playing well and right now the last couple of of weeks it looks like we just accepted what happened. Uh, a little bit too much and, and was relying uh, on something else uh, that needs to be corrected the game of basketball has to have a level of passion uh, and so that is a, a huge question right now with, with this Indiana team but really uh, I've always been concerned with the offensive creativity but I think Andy you're right right now Indiana's slacking a little bit more on defense especially that ball screen and, and that kick out from the wing to the uh, the point to the wing three that Indiana's giving up quite a bit. And maybe tomorrow night that's something, again, Indiana needs to work on in these games uh, because you can stop opponents no matter what. Uh, and they gave up 72 points, and Woodson was not not extremely happy. So, Chronic, coming back to you, uh, 
you know, we, we, we have that leadership, the question, the softness question that's lingering out there. I think the only way Indiana is going to answer that is by going on the road and, and beating teams and, and showing that. But to the basketball part of this, what concerns you most, offense or defense uh, at this moment from what you've seen? I, I think defense. Um, defense is what this team really seemed to establish as a foundation last year. I think it was their defense that was responsible for the – the late season run um, in, in the regular season into the, the postseason turn, the Big Ten tournament, and then working their way into the play-in game and then out to Portland. Um, you know, the, the offense, I felt like, would be um, the room for growth uh, for this team to really achieve its its potential this season. Um, the problem is, is when the defense disappears, it doesn't matter how great the offense is, um, they're just giving up too many points. And, you know, we, we talk about the fight and I, I, I think I'm just as guilty as everybody. Uh, when I say that generally, I, I think it goes beyond the will uh, to compete. And I think what, what was probably most frustrating on the offensive end, um, the last two games, well, I'm sorry, against Arizona and Kansas was the way in which the lack of focus contributed to the downward spiral um, you know, when the defense is, is not as sharp as you would like to see it, um, you know, and it's going to, you're going to go punch for punch. You cannot shoot yourself in the foot and turn the ball over, um, repeatedly, you know, you have to be more, uh, disciplined in your shot selection. Um, and I felt like they, uh, they really contributed or at least accelerated some of those runs that the, uh, the opponents were able to go on because quite frankly, the defense just wasn't locked in, um, and offensively, they were just too loose with it, too sloppy, um, too predictable, quite honestly. Uh, you see a lot of teams as the season's gone on, the playbook becomes a little bit more transparent with all the film they've put down. Uh, they know what your actions are. They know where your passing lanes are. They know where your handoff points are. And they're jumping all over it. And, you know, if you're not, if you're not cutting hard, if you're not passing hard, um, you're just giving teams the opportunity to come in there and create turnovers. And uh, I, I think... The combination of those two things, you know, defense that really isn't uh, contesting uh, to the level we're accustomed to, um, but as well as just the lack of focus, the lack of discipline on offense um, is just enabled them to get, you know, effectively outclassed uh, by two really good opponents. Um, but, you know, for a team that aspired to be counted among them, um, it, it's certainly a reality check for where they are now. Uh, but I would also add to all that, you know, it's, it's still December. There's still plenty right. of time to make some corrections and to clean some stuff up. Uh, and I, I do, I, I do steadfastly believe that losses can be good when you grow from them, when you learn from them, when you identify mistakes that can be corrected. So I'm not willing to throw, uh, you know, to throw those games away as complete losses at this point or total losses rather. Uh, but it's going to be really, really important that they, uh, they get some of that stuff addressed because honestly, um, as good as this team's looked at times, especially at home, uh, it's been quite the opposite on the road. And you've got to figure out what's causing those disparities. Everybody's going to have a tougher go, obviously, when you when you pack it up and take it on the road. Uh, but to get so far away from your identity, uh, you've got to figure out why and how do you get that fixed. And uh, that, to me, is going to be the probably the biggest question mark going forward this season, in you know, addition to the injuries. Yeah, you you mentioned the offensive part, which has just been a bugaboo for me. Um, 
and I'm just old school. I like cutting. You you used the word cutting. I, I'd like to see that a little bit more. But uh, the question to you, Andy, is I thought Coach Woodson and the team ran some really good stuff against the zone. It took a while to settle in uh, and find the rhythm, uh, you know, and the game was a little too close there midway through the first half. But um, I really liked the sets that they ran, and they moved. They moved the ball. They moved people. Uh, against the zone, which I don't think Indiana does very well against man. We're very easy to guard and scout in, in man. As as Chronic said, you're, you're seen on tape. Uh, there needs to be a little more creativity. So your thoughts about Indiana's zone offense, uh, and do they run zone offense better than man right now? Based Again, it's against Elon uh, versus man-to-man against Kansas. That's a little hard to compare, but uh, I just really enjoyed what they were trying to do uh, the other night offensively a- against the, the zone. Yeah, I thought they settled into it a little bit over the course of the game. I think the the beginning of the game, they were trying to do all the basic stuff that, you know, you get told to do against the zone initially, and they weren't really making it work a whole lot uh, and just kind of trying to force feed it in there. But I thought, like you said, as the, as the half went on, they were able to – to get some shots, um, especially, you know, in a couple cases, it was the shots that Kansas was giving them that corner three. Uh, they just did a better job of hitting it in, in the Elon game. And that probably speaks a little bit to the overall, uh, you know, intensity of one game to the next. But uh, I, I think when you see the way that cop is shooting, Bates is shooting it better. Uh, I think there's the potential to do more uh, offensively than, dump it in the post and stand around and watch and hope that something good happens. And so you'd like to see a little bit more of that creativity. And I think from an offensive perspective, they've really, you know, that hasn't been, that was a big issue in the Rutgers game, but I don't think a a whole lot of other games you would look at and say, Hey, that is the absolute issue other than, you know, Kansas, they missed a ton of shots, but they got some reasonably good shots in there. So, yeah, I think that's the challenge is can they sustain the shot making when the the competition is a little bit better because realistically even with what they're running that doesn't feel super inventive they're getting decent shots for the guys that i think ideally they want to get uh outside looks and and so you take xavier johnson away and for his uh you know all the conversations you can have about his shot form and all those things he's been a guy who in his time as a hoosier has shot the three well uh in different situations so you need to be able to have whoever you're putting in to give some of those minutes, can they continue to be a threat there to open things up? Races look more comfortable shooting it in some of those scenarios. And that's been a positive. Um, but I think you got to try to find ways to get more shots for cop and Bates at this point, because you're going to have to loosen things up against TJD. And those exactly. are easy things to do. The other things to do against the zone, as you said, to be able to right. run some actions, draw the defense, get, get to those guys. And they they've converted. Um, so just a matter of, of, can they continue that when big 10 play ratchets up? Cause you're not going to find that out about, you know, the Kennesaw state game other than other chances to build confidence for those more difficult situations. But, um, I think that speaks to some of the, you know, zone offense and the shots that you're going to get against the zone speaks a little bit to some of the guys that are playing the best for IU right now. And those things are lining up pretty well. Okay. Um, Coming up here on Assembly Call Radio, we dive deeper into the injury to Xavier Johnson, what Indiana can do to compensate for his loss, and how it will impact Indiana's chances in the Big Ten. So stick around.
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, this is AJ Moye. What's the only thing better than upsetting Duke in the Sweet 16? Celebrating it with friends afterwards. Join Jared. Andy, Ryan, and Coach for the assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers. Welcome back to the assembly call. Uh, I'm the coach, Brian Tonsoni, here with Chronic Hoosier and Andy Bottoms as as we talk Indiana basketball here right before uh, Christmas break. Our main segment tonight is brought to you by our new sponsor, True Blood Real Estate. Jim Trueblood is a longtime friend of Jared's and the founder of and owner of Trueblood Real Estate, where he's been helping people in Indiana buy and sell property since 2006. And starting this season, Trueblood Real Estate is the exclusive and official real estate partner of IU Athletics, with a team of talented agents to serve you in Bloomington and throughout Indiana. If you're looking to buy or sell real estate in Indiana, you need to experience the Trueblood advantage. Go to Trueblood. RE.com. That's T R U E B L O O D R E.com to learn more and tell them Assembly Call sent you. All right, fellas, it's now time uh, to talk the unfortunate, uh, you know, result of your trip out there, uh, Chronic Hoosier, the injury to Xavier Johnson about the 10 minute mark of Kansas, uh, where he had a procedure done this week on his foot and will be out for an indefinite amount of time. Um, so, Andy, coming to you, let's talk about how you solve uh, the missing piece of a veteran point guard who really took Indiana in that Big Ten tournament uh, to some heights to get him in the NCAA tournament and someone that uh, we counted on on, on both ends. Uh, what's what's your solution? You're on the bench. You're being asked by Coach Woodson. You know, who do you start? Who do you play? Who handles the ball? Uh, th- those types of things all probably need to be addressed now that uh, X is out. Yeah, you know, the obvious choices are, are Trey Galloway, who stepped into the starting lineup when Hutchina was hurt, or Tamar Bates. And there's probably positives to either of those things. I think by putting Galloway in the starting lineup, which is what happened on uh, on Tuesday night, probably lets you play rotations as similar to what you were doing before uh, as anybody. So in terms of the way that, that Woodson was using X and, and Huchipino, one of them was always on the floor at all times. You'd sub one of them out as one of the first subs and then put them back in uh, with the second unit. I think Galloway was the first guy that got subbed out on Tuesday, if I'm 
remembering correctly, and then he came back in to give Huchifino a rest, and you you kind of, you know, he's not a substitute for Xavier Johnson, obviously, but at least from a rotational standpoint, you do that. Everybody kind of bumps up one, and then CJ Gunn takes some of those minutes, um, although he wasn't the first guy uh, off the you know off the bench in that situation, but I think probably makes the most sense there to to kind of play uh, some of that. So I think that maybe uh, disrupts what what you want to do rotation wise the least. Um, what you give away in doing that is, you know, taking a guy like Galloway, who's really been a spark from an energy perspective off the bench, uh, and now who can really bring that. And that's a great opportunity for some of the young guys to to be able to step up and do, because I think everything we've seen uh, in the way that Galloway has been used both last year and this year, uh, is it seems like that's the way he's going to go. So, you know, how does somebody come off the bench and provide that that spark? I thought CJ Gunn did a really good job of that. I think he's a, was a little uh, overly aggressive defensively at times, but he was really looking to get up into people and be disruptive on the, end of the floor in the same way that we would say Galloway has been at times. Um, so he's got to kind of figure out the maybe the the line to ratchet that back to just a little bit. Um, but maybe he can be uh, maybe he can be that guy who, who brings that kind of energy. I think that's really what you have to figure out is who becomes your energy guy off the bench uh, without Galloway because, um, you know, I think I don't know that Bates is necessarily what you'd qualify as an energy guy. I think he's a great scorer for that second unit potentially and has done a lot of things well. Um, but he was already in the rotation to begin with. So whoever you bring in and, and kind of the, the next man up, everybody slides over a seat. Uh, if that's DJ Gunn, you know, you really want to put a lot on him in terms of uh, of bringing that defensive intensity and, and some of those things. He's not going to bring the playmaking with the ball in his hands that you'd have from a Galloway. But it uh, seems like that's the way things are going. Uh, like I said, arguments to, to do that either way, but it uh, looks like that's what's going to happen, at least in the short term. Chronic Trey had a really tough game at Kansas uh, handling the basketball. I know he has a lot of downhill uh, ability. Are you comfortable uh, with Trey as the the second ball handler? Um, and your thoughts about uh, Trey or Tamar starting uh, for X? Um, I mean, I don't know that I have a whole lot of choice other than to be confident. Um, the Hoosiers <laughs> certainly don't right now. Um, I, I think I, I think this is part of the challenge when you know you haven't really had a true, true point guard uh, or at least continuity at that position over the last several years. Uh, without that depth, you're, you're uh, forcing a lot of guys into unnatural roles. You end up taking a lot of guys who are otherwise considered as, you know, quote unquote combo guards and, and asking them to kind of drop that and just be a true PG. And I think Indiana's done a fairly decent job up to this point in kind of mitigating that issue, at least the last two seasons with X. Um, where I think it's going to be challenging going forward without him for whatever span. Um, X was, was a um, kind of a posture setter. He set the tone defensively, usually up front, taking the ball uh, point defense. Um, He was also probably our most effective dribble driving the ball, uh, getting defenses to break down. And uh, I, I think that's something that, on both sides of the floor, IU needs that attack mentality uh, to set the tone. Um, so whomever uh, gets tabbed for that, I think that's going to be the biggest part of those shoes to fill up is is just quite honestly that attack mindset, uh, taking it to the other team at the point of attack on both ends of the floor aggressively but within control. Uh, because otherwise, you know, 
teams end up sagging down on defense and, and really packing the paint and just jumping those passing lanes when they know that you're not going to, you're not going to take them off the dribble. And I think just like having effective shooting on the floor, you've got to have that threat or else you, you get too, um, you know, one or two dimensional, if you will. Um, I don't know that, uh, that it's going to be the same answer on every night because I think the, uh, the disparity between those guys, obviously different games, different attributes. Uh, but what we've seen in the past is, you know, certain matchups, they have really stymied them. And uh, that could be one of those going forward where Woody's just going to have to kind of feel it out, see who's got the hand, see who's dealing but with a matchup better than the other and, and kind of writing that. Um, because I don't know that there is a, a, a clear error apparent there um, as far as the guy that you would tab right now and say, this is going to be it until X comes back. Uh, I really think he's probably going to be a situation where we're just going to have to feel it out and, uh, and hope for the best. And hopefully that competition brings a little bit more out of both of those guys. Chronic, do you feel that we're going to uh, feel the injury for X more offensively or defensively? Or, I mean, obviously both, but which one has the, the bigger impact in your opinion? Um, I'm going to say offensively. Uh, and, and the reason I say that is you look at 23 turnovers um, at Kansas. Uh, obviously, those weren't all in the point guard, uh, but the way in which the wheels kind of fell off once he went out, um, you know, I, I think – Woody's always going to play whoever's stronger on defense. I think that's his default setting. Um, but I think for Indiana to uh, to weather this loss, uh, they're going to have to figure out a way to be better stewards of the ball, to take better care of it. Uh, because quite honestly, I don't care how well you're shooting or how well you're defending. When you're giving the ball over 23 times in a game, you're going to be hard-pressed to win against anybody, not to mention Big Ten opponents. Um, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. I, Coach, which, which side do you think is – I have some thoughts, but I, I, I get yours first and, and I'll hop it, back in. But It really needs to be uh, broken down, Andy, into pieces. Like the ball pressure and that Trey Galloway can pick up. Um, but X would take some charges, and I think he really had some non-statistical things that he did to point guards too just by being that pest defensively. That's hard. But I think Galloway can fill, fill that in a, a little bit um, defensively. Um, offensively, it's scoring at the rim. Uh, mostly, uh, I think. And when he was good, he was getting seven, eight, nine, eleven assists. The as Chronic said, um, but I think you can fill the point guard spot with with Jalen Hood Shafino because he plays it with the level of of calm. I think you got to play point guard with, with with calm. X didn't, but X found a greatness without being calm because he could just get to the rim. But he would also throw the ball to the Arizona coach um, because he wasn't. Uh, you know, a calm and poised at times. But that was also his strength. So I, I, it's hard for me to say one way or the other. I'm going to lead offensively more because of, of the ability to score at the rim and also shoot the, the, the step in three. I think Galloway has that drive ability of X, but I don't think he has quite the shooting, although he's, what, six for 13 or something uh, of this nature. And I don't think Galloway right now um, – Galloway has some good assist numbers, but I think at the Arizona game, he missed a lot of open cop being open for threes. And I think sometimes he plays one speed downhill fast and, and he misses stuff. And his assists are that the lob, uh, the drop off to the, to the post, or maybe that real hard kick out. Uh, but I think he needs to understand how to run the offense. So I, I'm going to lean offense uh, along with, with Chronic, but I do think there's a component of his defense 
that it's just really hard with him picking up full court uh, and just eating some clock and, and just getting into the mind of, of the opposing point guards, which I thought he did extremely well. Yeah, I guess I would lean that way a little bit, but I'm maybe less uh, bullish on, on what you said in terms of Galloway really being able to, to be – be that guy at the point of attack on on defense. I think depending upon the matchup, that's that's probably true. But some of the smaller, quicker point guards, I think, could give him uh, some trouble uh, as you as you go through that way. And I think offensively, you know, the other thing is you start thinking about Galloway. He certainly shot better, worked on his shot form, all those things. But teams still treat him as a non-shooter uh, until he proves otherwise. And so you got to question you know, how you deal with that part of it. Because uh, again, for whatever questions we have about X's shot selection at times and shot form, he's proven to be pretty, I mean, he shot, you know, even this year was shooting 37% from three. Um, can you get that out of Galloway over an extended period of time? Can you, um, you know, can you count on that? Because if he moves in the starting lineup, you're playing him more with Race Thompson, who shot the ball better, but teams are also still going to treat as a non-shooter. Um, and so how does that impact the spacing? Because to your point, X could take threes, but also uh, was effective in the ball screen and, and things like that. And, and that'll be something that Huchifino can do. And Trey's done some good things there as well. But um, I think the shooting aspect is maybe one of the bigger ones on, on offense. It's kind of the playmaking. I think you see, you know, really all three of, of X, uh, Jalen and Trey have their moments offensively where they're trying to do too much or trying to do something too fancy. I think a lot of Huchifino's turnovers against Elon were, were that, uh, and they broke that down and inside the hall today, which is some of the, uh, you watch those, it's just, you know, trying to do too much, be too fancy. Again, kind of, I'll steal your, you know, old man trying to be too fancy type stuff. But, um, I think there was a little bit of that. And I think Galloway to your point knows that downhill, but that could lead to mistakes at times. So, how do you get these guys to find the right, right balance between being aggressive uh, and being reckless? And I think we'd started to get to that point with X, uh, not all the time, but in large part. And how quickly can you get to that point with these two guys filling that role? Let me throw in, too, you look at the free throw numbers. I mean, X currently, you know, uh, Trace is leading the team with 53 attempts. Uh, but of the regular rotation players, X has almost, well, not almost, X has twice as many attempts as the next closest guy. Uh, and that's just a product of his uh, his aggressiveness offensively. Um, somebody's going to have to assume that role and, and you know attack the basket and hopefully draw some whistles and get some freebies. Yeah, I, I am just a firm believer in Hood Shafino. Um, you, you don't see players like him very often. What 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 he needs to do is just get experience as quickly as he possibly can. The Big Ten's going to be be rough, uh, even as good a player as he's coming as, as he is coming from Mount Verde. But I just love the way he plays. He he knows how to get the ball to people. I thought his post feeds the other night, uh, Andy, when you were there at Elon, were just fantastic. So you never want to lose a, a guy, period. You don't want to lose a guy like X, uh, who can do so many things on both ends of, of the floor. But it's nice to have a high-quality five-star NBA prospect that, that you're going to have to hand the ball to. And he'll have his good games and he'll have his bad games. Um, but it would be a lot worse if X was the only point guard and, and we didn't have that quality uh, also playing beside him. But, Chronic, um, has this adjusted your thoughts on Indiana's uh, possibility to compete for a Big Ten title, uh, the injury to Xavier? 
Um, yes, but probably not as much as the uh, the outcomes at Kansas and Arizona, if we're being totally honest, because even with X, um, we, we did not look like the type of team that was you know, capable or prepared to contend for the title. Um, without him, that certainly doesn't improve that outlook, I suppose. Uh, and I'm not saying that this team's not going to be able to, um, but they're going to have to do some soul searching and they're going to have to do it in a hurry uh, because, you know, right now, You've already got one loss in the conference uh, that was also pretty ugly. Uh, and those can stack up on you here real quick uh, once the uh, the heart of the Big Ten schedule begins. So um, it, it's as we said earlier, I think this is a great opportunity uh, for some leadership. Uh, and you've got some upperclassmen on this team that I think are, are capable. It's just who's going to grab the mantle, who's going to carry it. Uh, but that needs to emerge here and fast. Andy, your thoughts about Indiana still competing for a Big Ten title with uh, without their starting point guard? Yeah, I, I think that becomes pretty tough. Um, I, I think what we've seen from the Big Ten probably reinforces what we what we kind of thought going in in terms of there's not really a clear cut best team. There's a lot of really good teams who are just going to beat the crap out of each other over the course of the season, and I'm not sure that doing that without the guy that you you had in there as your starting point guard and was your starting point guard last year feels like you're going to, you know, come out. How how does that impact your ability to come out on top and what project to be a lot of close games feels like negatively. So if you were going to win, you know, you'd hope to win six or seven of, of 10, you know, kind of close games, let's say uh, in there, knowing you're not going to win them all. That number drops to five. You're not winning the, you know, you're not winning the conference. That number drops to four. You're not winning it. So, so to me, I think in a league that's proven to be really balanced, and we'll see what you know Purdue looks like as the as things go. Um, they at least from a projection standpoint on you know Ken Palm and things like that project to to be the team that that maybe is a step above everybody else. We'll see if that proves itself out once the 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 Big Ten uh, season picks back up again. But just given the number of tough environments and close games it feels hard to have similar expectations uh, w- without him in the lineup. Um, you need a lot of other things to go right to help make up for that. And um, to Chronic's point, I think the, you know, the underpinnings of that uh, don't feel great when you look back at, uh, you know, how they perform those Arizona and Kansas games, even the Rutgers game to the same extent, even with him. Um, so to me, doesn't mean they're going to drop into the bottom half of the league. At least I certainly hope not, but I think, projecting them as a clear cut, you know, top two, three team in the league doesn't feel uh, certainly doesn't feel like a, a bet. I would uh, run up to the window to make at this point. I, I, uh, I totally agree. But the one thing is I don't think the big Ten's strong um, where, where I agree with you, Michigan state has been without some key players and they've struggled. Right. So anytime you lose good, good players, the expectations have to be dropped a little bit. I think that's just r- reality. Uh, but I'm sitting here seeing Illinois down 18 to Missouri uh, as we're recording the the, the show. Uh, I don't know that there is a team, and I'm not comfortable saying Purdue is that head or heels. I know they're number one right now, but uh, I think the Big Ten has some things in store for them as well. So you're going to have to fight and claw, and it's going to be a lot more difficult. But I still think Indiana can have a successful season, get back in the tourney, and, and maybe win a game or two in the tourney with the people uh, and the squad um, that they have. Um, so 
Sorry to see X out, um, but those are our thoughts. We'll come back and answer your questions right after this, so stick with us. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. What's up, y'all? It's Devontae Green, giving you the green light to watch Assembly Call after every IU game. Just don't listen to their opinions about shot selection. Remember, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Go Hoosiers. Welcome back. I'm the coach, Brian Tonsoni, here with Chronic Hoosier and Andy Bottoms. It's now time for our mailbag. All questions were submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community, which you can learn more about and join at assemblycall.com backslash community. Um, so Leslie has uh, a couple questions. We've kind of talked about them so we can, uh, already in, in the second segment, but we can hit these again real quick. Uh, she first asked, um, how is Trey adapting to playing so much at the point? So let's just talk uh, Andy a little bit again, Trey Galloway as a slashing guard. I like Trey Galloway as a point guard. I have to see him run some offense and do some other things as a point guard, not just a slasher. Your thoughts. Yeah, I think there's uh I think we've already seen some growing pains in 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 having him do that. I think uh as you start thinking about roles on a team and and maybe where he best fits, you know, he was really in these situations where he could be the secondary playmaker on any, you know, with the you know, even if it was with the first unit, even when he got to start with Hichifino, he wasn't the guy that was counted on for that. That was X. Uh so you know, he's kind of seen, you know, two different roles this year. One of those is you know, secondary creator off the bench, uh, which he's done really well and just kind of defensive pest and and those kinds of things. And then he's been in the starting lineup, but even in those cases as a secondary ball handler. Uh, in this case, you know, what I, what I talked about, at least in the Elon game, you know, he's kind of getting into the, you know, two-headed point guard uh, situation with, with Jalen in the way that, you know, Woodson was using Jalen and X. So there's going to be times when Jalen's off the court, he's the guy that's really bringing the ball up and initiating the offense and uh, I, it's certainly an adjustment for him. I think good that they've got a couple of these uh, easier games to be able to do that in. Because you know, for all we talk about uh, how Iowa is uh, is not a defensive juggernaut by any means, I felt like they threw a three quarter court press on against us last year. It looked like we'd never seen it before, uh, and really struggled to handle the ball. And they've got some guards that can be those kinds of pests. Uh, you know, they don't have a Bohannon this year. You can't really guard anybody. They've got, uh, you know, other guys to be able to put some pressure on the ball. So that's a game where they're going to need him. And when Huchifino's not in there, how does he handle that situation? And how does he and, you know, whether that's Tamar Bates or CJ Gunn or whoever the case may be in the game, how are they able to handle that? It'll be a huge test for him. So I think it's just an adjustment period. I'm not sure whether 
that's a role that he's best suited in long-term by any means. It's just a matter of, can he get better at it in order to not have as big a drop-off as, as maybe what you might see? At least that's kind of how I'm viewing it. Chronic, uh, Leslie has a second question here, uh, and I'm going to send it to you because you've talked about the heart and soul uh, on the podcast. And she asks, what is going on with some of the players? I say this with love and without naming names. A few seem either injured, tired, checked out, or confused. Uh, and then she gives a shout-out for Jalen uh, for putting a smile on all their faces with the gifts. Um, and Jalen, by the way, I'm waiting for uh, my headphones. The, these earbuds are falling in and out of my ears because I'm an old man. Um, so I'll wait for those in the, in the mail, uh, dude, but what, what do you think is some of the reason why the Indiana program for years and, and, and it's starting to sprout up again this year on the road when adversity hits, um, you just see, you see a team that, that doesn't have that fight or is soft as Geo Baker says, what's going on? What, what's the cause of it? And how do you get out of it? Maybe chronic. Um, that's a good question. Uh, you can't cheat the process. You you can't. You just can't. You can't in any aspect in life, especially in basketball. Um, guys have to learn what it takes, and it's very rare to get you know freshmen, underclassmen to come in that know what it takes to win at this level. Uh, that's that's learned through experience, and. You know, you saw, you've seen this in the past um, when Indiana was was under the Tom Crean era. Uh, obviously, they they hit lows that you know nobody ever imagined were possible. The program as storied as Indiana, but it did. And the blood, the sweat, the tears it took for those guys to get the program back to where it it eventually went, but where you know everybody feels it belongs. Um, that was an arduous, grueling, painful process. You know, I saw firsthand the tears after the games. You know, you saw the guys coming out of practice bloodied and banged up. And you just can't cheat that. And I think you saw what happens when you try to cheat that with the quote-unquote movement. You know, when these young guys come in and they just expect just by virtue of being here, you know, and by virtue of preseason polls, this is what we're going to be. And that's not the case. They didn't earn it. They didn't put the work in. Um, they didn't make the sacrifices that it takes to become successful at that level. And I think that's where you saw that that uh, whipsaw immediately after uh, that run in 2013, where even with a lot of talent, it just wasn't clicking like it did. Uh, because quite honestly, I just I, I feel like they didn't complete the process uh, that it takes to, to achieve at that level. And you look at a team as like Indiana has constructed with transfers and freshmen and everything else, there's few guys that understands um, how bad those losses suck. Uh, and quite frankly, I think that's that's probably the greatest lesson of all is losing and, and learning to be disgusted by the losses and, you know, continuing to put in more and make greater sacrifices in order to get bigger returns. Um, that doesn't just happen. Uh, and, you know, look at Kentucky. If it was just as easy as bringing in a bunch of five stars, they'd be in a title game every year. It doesn't work that way. The guys have to learn what it takes. And I think experience is the best teacher. And uh, I, I think this team has, has lacked that experience for some time. And those that have it, uh, maybe haven't communicated that to the youngest guy or the younger guys to the fullest, uh, that this is what it's going to take. And if they've never been there, they don't understand it. Uh, but Lord knows they're learning awfully quick right now. And the big yeah. thing is how do you, how do you respond to it? Right. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm a big on a player led team. It, 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 
is a winning team. And sometimes you have really you have guys you love and play well, but but that leadership aspect is is it's kind of tough to define. Um, but you know when you see it, right, uh, on a team and how that is passed down. Great point about passing it down from the top to the bottom. And, and, and I'm not calling out Race or TJD or X or anyone like that because sometimes it's just it's not in the cards uh, for, for personality-wise or, or whatever. But this team does need those veterans to step up and demand things being done the right way. And when there's an 8-0 run in a game that uh, you gather people together and make sure the next possession is handled uh, correctly – um, and, and you're going to have to handle adversity in the Big Ten, and, and you don't don't let it snowball to where you can't get back, like Kansas. That that, that just can't happen uh, when you go to a Michigan State, when you go to a, at Ohio State, at Purdue. Uh, you're going to have to have that level of toughness, and it's going to have to come from the veterans passing that that on down. Uh, next question, Ken Overby says, uh, and I'm going to throw this back to both of you uh, about. Since we're needing a shooting guard in the revised lineup, would not C.J. Gunn be the logical solution? I'm going to say not starting, but I do think you have a chance to see an expanded role for C.J. Gunn. Andy, you brought that up earlier. Chronic, we'll come to you first and then finish with Andy on this. What does C.J. Gunn have to do to be able to be a contributor in the Big Ten, and do you think he can get there? Um, I, I think he's going to have to get really strong on uh, on defense. Uh, quite honestly, I think for freshmen, that's the toughest thing. Um, the speed, the complexity of this. I, I just think everything happens faster, uh, more athletically at this level. And I think it's hardest to catch up to it on the defensive end. And, uh, you know, I think you're going to see him, um, once Big Ten starts in earnest, get targeted a lot uh, on the defensive side, just because that's what you do to freshmen is you baptize them. And uh, I, I think the more minutes he gets, the more he's going to get some of that treatment and he's going to have to find a way to fight through it and uh, and be effective on the defensive end without letting it affect uh, what he brings on the offensive side. But quite honestly, I think that's going to be his uh, his biggest challenge as his role increases. Andy? Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I think he's um... – shown a willingness to really get in there and try to be a good defender, uh, which is a great first step. I think now it's just a matter of trying to, you know, kind of like I said, he's out there really slapping at the ball, doing a lot of things when he was in the other night. And that created a couple turnovers and he got on the floor, played really hard uh, against better players that opens you up to, to getting beat or, you know, to make a couple extra fouls in a game against Elon that you were going to win by that much didn't really matter. To make a couple extra fouls in a Big Ten game to get somebody the bonus a little bit sooner uh, becomes uh, becomes tricky. So I think I think you're right. I think that's a way he can carve out his role. You know, the other thing is you look at him as a as a shooter, and I think the shot form is really good. I think he's going to be really good. I think he's two for fifteen from three over the course of the season so far. Uh, he is not afraid to. Uh, to let it fly once he's in the game. And I think that's something that this team needs is a little bit of that fearlessness to a certain extent. So I don't necessarily mind it. I don't recall him taking a ton of bad shots. And I thought he was unselfish at times in the game against Elon, trying to make the extra pass, uh, not just taking, uh, you know, a ton of shots every time he got the ball. Um, so I'm not overly worried about the offense, but man, you come get him to come in in a game, maybe hit a couple threes if he's open during this stretch, uh, maybe, the springboard, but I think he's a good enough shooter. That's really what he was known for. Um, so I think the defense has been probably better than what you expected. And, and like I said, the biggest thing is he's really trying hard on defense. I know that sounds like a, that sounds like a backhanded compliment, and it's not. 
Um, but he does really seem to be, no matter when he's gotten in games this year, the effort's there. I think sometimes he doesn't know where he needs to be. Uh, I noticed that more early in the season than I did uh, probably on Tuesday. But, you know, those are things he's got to overcome to be able to be a productive member of the rotation. I think he's got a great chance to be a member of the rotation out of necessity at this point. And, uh, and so we'll see what happens, uh, you know, tomorrow and, and then going forward. Yeah. You talk about that shooting. I I think a lot of his misses so far, at least from deep have just been because he's too jacked up. He's he's catching the back end of the, he he didn't miss anything short. That's for sure. No, no. And it's literally just, uh, (laughs) he's playing too fast. Yeah. Well, no, it's literally, it's, it's, it's X's biggest problem is figuring out what the effective rhythm is of any given game and staying on the beat. And sometimes mm-hmm. you're so eager, you're so anxious. You, you just push tempo a little bit too fast, even with your own mechanics. And I think he's, uh, he's been a victim of that this year in, his, in the three point shooting. But I, I think he will play a role, um, whether he's up to it or not, because you're going to need that extra guard off the bench, that extra wing off the bench. He's got the length. Uh, he's got to play defense without fouling. Uh, that's where the, the hand attacks are nice, uh, but you got to be careful uh, of, of fouling too much and, and getting people to the foul line. But I love his offensive attitude, man. Catch that ball, shoot that ball. But he's got to do it in rhythm. Uh, but I don't see C.J. Gunn cracking the starting lineup, uh, Ken, but I do think he'll get you know, 8, 10, 15 minutes depending on time and situation, and we're going to need him to, to get there. So. Our, our last and I'm not question. sure. I'm not sure him in a starting role really sets him up all that well for success anyway. To be right. totally honest with you, I think, uh, as you said, he's going to be a guy who gets targeted defensively. People are really going to go at him. Cop is a guy who people do that with today. He's just got the experience to, you know, try to work through that. But yeah, I think in that situation, playing against starting, you know, starting guards and wings, uh, I just don't think that's setting him up for success uh, either way. So I, that, that's kind of why I take that off the table a little bit, just for his own best interest. Uh, certainly something he can grow into over the course of time, but I don't think something he's ready for right now. This last question is really good, and, and take it uh, the answers where, wherever you want. Obviously, you do that. But uh, Ross Dietrich says, has Woody possibly underutilized the talent on this roster so far this season, specifically in big games such as – and then games such as Elon uh, against a lesser talent remind us of how many talented players, guys there are on the roster, guys that could possibly play in more minutes and providing their worth on other teams. For example, Lawyer Smith contributing as freshman for Purdue. Are those players that much more ready to contribute than our freshmen? I say this not to spark controversy, but just to reflect on past IU squads where we felt we could have benefited from players such as Duncan, Leo, Gunn, and Banks, but now it seems those guys ride the pine, and while fans question toughness and effort from those that provide meaningful minutes. So I guess that's a rotation type of question and trusting younger guys. Different coaches have different philosophies on that, different programs the same. Uh, and different freshmen are at different levels. Um, Andy, uh, what do you think about uh, uh, Ross's question there? Yeah, I think the challenge is we're naming every guy on the roster, and you're not going to play 13 guys in some of these games. And so I think that's where it becomes difficult. Uh, I know that was – I think he's done a better job this year of getting those guys more minutes in some of the cupcake games. Uh, I can't – can't remember how many times we came on last year after a game where they blew somebody out where it's like, why are race and trace playing this much? So I think there've been some lessons learned with that. I think what you haven't really seen, uh, this is kind of a, you know, 
it's it's one of those things like when you're going to apply for your first job and you can't get it because they say you don't have experience well you can't get experience if they don't give you your first job um it, it's a little bit like that in the sense of you know you haven't seen these guys against better competition and it's easy to see what they do against an e-line where they're just physically better and more athletic and say well how does that translate to some of these bigger games i struggle to see it with some of the guys um at least in a huge role. And if, if you're just kind of having a revolving door over there, sprinkling in everybody you got on the roster to see what happens, I don't think that does a whole lot for continuity. And we'd probably be on here saying, hey, we got to have an eight-man rotation. We got to stop playing so many guys and whatever else. So um, I think there's maybe some things to – I think the last point that, that was made in the question is one that I do think is interesting in terms of, uh, you know, people talking about lack of effort and how you use – some of these guys, if you really know they're going to come in and play hard to give uh, kind of a kick in the pants to somebody uh, as you go through it that way, like maybe there's some ways to utilize that, but it's one of those where if, if you acknowledge that you're not going to play all 13 guys every game, then it's kind of like a zero sum game at some point. And so if you want to put one of these guys in, you got to take somebody else out uh, of the rotation. And I think that becomes difficult to do because you got to make decisions on who you think shouldn't play as much. And you've already got guys like Geronimo who people might say, Hey, he's not playing enough. Um, so how are you going to find minutes for these other guys? I think that gets difficult. And, and again, going back to what I said about CJ Gunn a minute ago, you also got to figure out, are you setting these guys up for success? Do you go throw some of these dudes in, in the first half of the Kansas game? Are they ready for that? Um, uh, how many of them can you play at the same time? Um, you know, and, and be able to do that. So you might pick one of those guys and say, Hey, this is the guy who really gives, brings it in practice. And I'm going to give him a few minutes just to kind of light a fire under everybody. But I just don't think you can do that with that many guys uh, as we go through it. So I, I don't, I don't have huge issues with how they've done the rotation. I get the point of the question. I think it's a really good question, but I just, um, I just kind of struggle to figure out how you do that without saying, all right, well, I got to go take three other guys out of the rotation. If I want these guys to play, cause you're not playing 13. Yeah, and different freshmen like Renew is ready to play, and he's hit a little freshman wall. Um, so you'll you'll see that uh, with young guys, but I, I don't think the back end is necessarily ready. I think they can play some, and they might have to step up in case of injuries. But that's where I think Chronic, your thought on on is Woody utilizing uh, the overall talent on this roster um, the way he should. I get asked this question uh, ungodly amount of time um usually it's more individually based you know why does this guy play so much why doesn't this guy play more and my default answer is always because they're practicing better i mean yeah. when you recognize that you know 95 percent of the time these guys spend on the court is not on camera at least not for the public consumption uh it's in cook hall it's behind closed doors um these guys are measured and charted and tracked uh, just to an absurd degree. And the coaches see who's performing and who's not. They see them matching up against each other. And you have to assume, because the coaches want to win probably more than any of us fans do, I mean, it's literally their job, um, that they're going to play the, the players who they feel like are going to give them the best chance to win. And while we may see spurts under the lights, uh, what these guys do consistently in practice is going to be what drives those decisions as well as what the coaches, um, you know, what the scouting report says and what they see on tape. Uh, but that's that's generally it's it's 
you know, the, the simplest answer is usually the one that that's right. And it's just because they're not playing as well as the other guys in practice. Uh, I do think there's a lot of talent and I, I think Andy's spot on, um, you know, you have to get experience in order to gain experience. Um, and you know, what do you said it? These guys, when their numbers called, they got it. They have to step up and they have to be ready. And, uh, you know, I think X's injury is going to open up a lot of those opportunities for some of these guys to probably help help answer this question through their play because they're going to be forced into those uh, into those new roles with increasing minutes. So uh, I, I think that's that's just the way the game is played everywhere. That's Best it. Guy. We're done. No that's more cool. questions. Oh, Ryan has spoken. All right. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Thanks to Bob Thompson for producing our music, and thanks to John Ringer of rigdesign.com for designing our logos, and thank you for listening. Until then, take it from me, Juwan Morgan. Keep your elbows in, eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Catch me if you can, Coach T. Yeah, that's right, baby. I'll be right upstairs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Chronic, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, Andy, uh, thanks. Merry Christmas to both of you uh, and your families. Uh, Say hello to everyone. Um, Have a nice drink tonight, or three or four, Chronic, uh, and stay warm, everybody. Hey, happy holidays, guys. It's always fun Absolutely. coming on. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Coach. All right. We'll see you tomorrow we'll, after uh, uh, we'll the talk tomorrow. State. Yep. All right. Sounds All good. Right, see you, Andy. Yep.